Amen. All righty. Hey, as you turn to page 62, that's right, brand new chapter. It's time for recap time. Anybody want to do some recap music? Jim, anything you got off the top of your head? That sounds like psycho or something. What are you trying to say? I think it's a good study. What are you doing to me? I'm off base already. Anyway, that's right. Hey, uh, intro to apologetics. That's right. We're given a defense for the hope that lies within us that God is real. We really can have a beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. How many guys would say that's good news? What's the problem, though? We live in a skeptical, scoffing world that the Bible even predicted would come in the last days, Second Peter. Uh, and uh, so they need to have some answers, uh, and we get to get equipped to give them those answers in love. We already saw the argument for the existence of God. Everything has a beginning. <clears throat> we even know that in the universe it had a beginning, so that implies a beginner, i.e. God. Uh, everything has a design. When you see and design in something, it implies a designer, i.e. another argument for the existence of God. Then we said, well, what about this world? They came up with a new theory, and we all know that's factual. It's called evolution. It spawns evil, unfortunately, because what you believe determines how you behave. And if you don't believe that there is a God, you're going to act like it. Shocker. Okay. And if you teach kids from Wehi, they came from an ape. Why are we shocked when they act like apes? Okay. So we took a 42-week detour. Uh, as well as what we covered in our workbook and dealt with that topic. Then we came back again on the argument for the existence of God, the third one on morals, okay, on the argument of morals. Where did this universal law come from in the hearts of men? Even if they've never had a copy of the Bible, never even read the Ten Commandments, why do people, no matter the culture, know it's inherently wrong to murder, to steal? Where'd that come from? Well, we were created in the image of God, spiritually and morally. That's another argument. Then we finished up several weeks on, well, what about the Bible? Because isn't that the next thing that gets attacked? You could sit there and logically uh, challenge them just logically about, hey, I think there really is a God. In fact, you've got to have more faith to believe that everything came from nothing, Okay, which is what evolution uh, would say, that there was no cause to that, which, again, is contrary to even known science. But anyway, uh, they'll sit there and go, well, uh, what about that Bible thing? We all know that the Bible is a book whooped up by man, etc., blah, blah, blah. Well, as we've dealt with that many uh, weeks, the Bible is unlike any other book on the planet. In fact, the Bible is unlike any other book on the planet that has been attacked ver uh, more and more than any other book in human history. Okay, and yet it completely uh, comes to the top as well. And then when you compare it to other supposed, quote, religious books, okay, they don't even come close. I mean, not even close uh, to the veracity of the Scripture. Now we come to another big one, okay, and that's on your page 62, and that's the question about, well, wait a second, okay, fine. And usually it'll come around to this. Okay, what about evil? Okay, and suffering. If God's such a loving God, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? How many guys heard that? Very popular. And frankly, again, in our study, guys, this is not a scary question. This is not a question to run from. Any of these questions are not to run from. It. And you certainly don't need to say, well, I don't know. You just got accepted by faith. Don't do that. Okay. You get equipped. That's what the apologetics. Give a defense. That's what we're doing here in our study in this whole workbook, okay? Because the answers are there, but we just got to do our homework, okay? And even when it comes to this one, this is awesome. This is a great question. I used to ask this as a non-Christian. Problem was, I couldn't really find any Christians that can give me an answer, okay? And uh, it's an awesome, wonderful question. So we're going to see, if we get that far tonight, Christianity, when you do your homework, is the only explanation on the whole planet, that is satisfying emotionally, logically, intellectually. And then we're going to flip it around, flip the script uh, to the other religions. And boy, wait to hear their explanation for that. Excuse me? Anyway, but we'll get there in a second. But let's take a look. Let's begin to examine that question. Why is there so much evil and suffering in the world, right? Uh, how can an all-powerful, here's the challenge, how can an all-powerful, all-loving God allow so much suffering and evil in the world? As once again, Sasquatch 
uh, ask us the question there, that guy in the mirror. Uh, okay, so let's examine it logically. How many guys got a thinking cap? How many guys actually had a teacher growing up and say, put your thinking caps on, right? Did you really got one wrong? That's cool. I've always wondered that. Okay, we always used to do that in class, but I'm going, do they really make thinking caps? I wish I had one, but here. Well, let's move on. Okay, so put your thinking caps on, real or not real, and uh, let's, let's look at this logically, okay? And yeah, it's a, it's a logical, good question. You don't have to run from this, okay? And this is what we see way back when. Mankind's always been interested in this, right? Because evil and suffering started towards the beginning of mankind at the fall of Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. So mankind's always been wondering about it. Even as far back this, 300 years before Jesus was born, the Greek philosopher Epicurus gave this problem in its classical form, broke it down logically. Number one, if God wants to prevent evil, but he can't, then God is not all-powerful. Actually, that's true right? Because that would mean that something is overpowering him. He is defenseless against it. He can't do anything, right? Well, then he couldn't be all-powerful. So that's a true statement. If God is powerful enough to meet, uh, powerful enough to prevent evil, but he won't, then God is not all-loving, okay? And that's really what the world tries to say to you and I, right? Well, what kind of a God is this? He doesn't, well, as we're going to see tonight, excuse me, he has done something. He's done some incredible things about this, unlike, again, the other religions on the planet. Number three, if God neither can nor desires to prevent evil, he's not divinity. In other words, what kind of a God is that? Just stand by idly, who cares, yeah, whatever, and you got to just suffer and torment. And okay. And then number four, if God can and desires to prevent evil, then why then is there evil in this world? So in other words, answer this question, why does he do it? Okay, well, let's take a look at that. Even the prophets in the Bible raise the questions in various forms. So we even have this question raised in the Bible and, of course, by secular people throughout human history outside the Bible. Okay, again, it's not a question we need to run from. Okay, it's a great, awesome question. Okay, Habakkuk asks God, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Right? You ever look at the world today and you go, man, why do those people, how come that goes, man, when's this ever going to stop, Right? Okay, it's a logical question, right? Next one, uh, David cried out, how long will the enemy mock you, O God? Right? Now, as we've seen many times before, uh, don't necessarily have time to turn there, but if you want to put it in your notes, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, that's right, verses 7 through 10. What's that, Mary? 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. You get it now. Okay, we're going to see the reason why. It's not because God's up there going, oh, boy, I just wish I could do something about this evil and suffering. That's just, oh, I'm just so helped. No. And it's not like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll help you guys out after I get done with vacation. You know, I'm a little busy right now. And that's what it is. The scripture clearly says there in 2 Peter that God is not slow, some would count slow. You know, you can't accuse God, why aren't you doing something? Why didn't you intervene? He says he's not willing that any should perish, but everyone come to repentance, right? So in other words, he's not the author of evil, but he is giving people time to respond to get out of evil through Jesus Christ, ultimately forever in heaven, right? It's his mercy. But be rest assured, bang! In that passage, judgment's coming. So right now, it's not because God's goofing around, taking a vacation, or he's not concerned. That's not it. He's being merciful. He's being extremely merciful. He's giving people time. Okay, but let's continue on. Jonah wondered why God would put up with the evil Ninevites and wanted God to wipe him out. Right? You ever play that game? Hope not. Well, I just, you know, of course God saved me because I'm not that bad of a person. I wasn't like Pastor Billy. I mean, he's got a sketchy past. Me? I've always been pretty good, you know. I've always... Remember that video of the guy we saw on Sunday? Well, you know, I've pretty much been a Christian all my life. <laughs> Whoa, back up the train. You can't be a Christian all your life. 
because we're born sinners, which means at some point you're cut off from God. And there has to come a point in time. Now, granted, it could happen earlier than later, hopefully earlier than later. How many guys wish you got saved earlier than you did? Yeah, I did. And, uh, but anyway, uh, but anyway, you can get saved, uh, you know, depending on somebody becomes cognizant of not just sin, but cognizant of the gospel, right? So, so kids and every kid's different. Age accountability, if you will, is the term that people throw out there. And so you can get saved there. But how many guys, you know, they, you run across people and they act like that, you know, they, they don't, they have an excuse not to be as passionate and in love with Jesus as somebody with a checkered past. Excuse me? So, so you're a liar and you're a thief, okay? Maybe you didn't do my sins, but you sinned. And what's the penalty for that? You go to hell, right? So how is that an excuse for you not to love Jesus? See, we categorize sin, don't we? Well, his sin was worse, and I can see why he loves Jesus. Whoa, whoa. But mine, it was, excuse me? Your sin of hypocrisy and lying was just as bad as that immorality. Is that the game you're playing? But then David says, man, why is this going on? Or Jonah, well, God, are you serious? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have mercy on these people. These people are horrible. Don't you know who they are? You ever do that one? Hope not. But you don't want to witness to certain people because, frankly, you don't want them to be saved. Or, or you don't think they could be saved. You ever been witness to somebody for many, many years, and it just seems like the more you witness to them, the worse it gets, and the temptation comes along? I'll just quit. Did you know you're looking at somebody who used to be like that? And I'm so stinking glad my sister didn't quit. <laughs> Even if it was just praying for me. Okay, but let's continue on. Jeremiah challenged God by saying, I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? What's going on, God? I mean, these people are doing all this wicked stuff, and why do these people get to stay in Congress? Oh, he's getting political. You know, why are these guys are doing all this stuff, and they keep doing, why does it never stop? How can they get to... Is the temptation. And the book of Job is consumed with the question, why was Job suffering? And ultimately, at the very end there, Job 42, Job finally got a reality check. Excuse me, I shut my mouth, God. Because ultimately, this question about suffering, why is it happening? And, and ultimately, if you say that God is doing something, uh, he doesn't know what he's doing, even when it comes to suffering, you're actually, if you think about it logically, you're accusing God of doing something wrong. Wrong is sin. So actually, when you say that God doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to evil and suffering, okay, uh, you're charging God with sin. That's a, ser- that's a sin, right? And so basically, Job says, oh, I shut my mouth. Ooh. You know, I repent in dust and ashes, right? So it's a natural question, but if you don't get it right, it could lead to some serious problems. Now, top of page 63, two important points to begin with. <clears throat> every world religion and every worldview, not just Christianity. Underline that, put some asterisks around it, uh, parentheses, a couple fireworks, how much time you got to draw in there, a couple bombs going off, but not just Christianity. And I bring that up because we're going to take a look at the other religions and what, what there is, but isn't that the constant charge against you and I? <laughs> I got you now, Christian. You're trying to tell me that God's real and, and Jesus is so wonderful and awesome and loving. What about evil and suffering? They say, we've just put the nail in the coffin against Christianity. Wait a second. We're going to get into that Christian biblical answer to that question because there is an answer to this. But what about your religion? Flip it around, right? And this is what he says. Not just Christianity. Must give an explanation as your first blank there. Every world religion, every worldview, not just Christianity, must give an explanation for an answer for evil and suffering. This is not just a Christian question, right? So shouldn't everybody have to give an answer for this? It's a universal question, all mankind, 
So keep that in mind. Number two, the answer to evil and suffering must meet the, both the intellectual, is your next blank there, intellectual and emotional demands of the question. Right? You can't just come up with something, well, the reason why there's evil and suffering is because uh, uh, Walmart and the prices and the structure and increased havoc and society. Okay, that's, I guess, an answer, but I'm sorry, that's not intellectual and it doesn't emotionally satisfy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if you're going to do it, and it's going to be right, logically, it's got to be intellectual and emotionally uh, satisfying to the question, okay? In other words, if someone puts forth an explanation for the problem of suffering and evil, this explanation must make sense, listen, logically, intellectually, philosophically, and emotionally. Can we agree on that? Right? If it's going to be something that's true, not just some lame excuse. Right? Well, let's take a look before we get into the uh, other world religions and their problem with the problem of evil and suffering. Let's take a look at just really quick uh, the biblical response, or at least how I would respond to this biblically. Okay? The charge is ultimately God is not loving because they say God created evil. Right? Well, wait a second there. You got, you got something going on there. That God created Evil is the charge. Excuse me? We've quoted many times before Isaiah 14, okay, and Ezekiel 28, the fall of Satan. I'll just read a little bit from Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, listen to this, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. How many guys would say that Satan had an eye problem? Right? He was infected with the me, myself, and I syndrome, the unholy trinity. This is the fall of Satan. What is the number one celebrated virtue in society today? It's all about me, I. In fact, it's I worship. Because the number one virtue is not just it's about you, but you need to feed you with, it's all about you, with self-love and self-respect and self-esteem. And so, whoa, that's not what the scripture says. You love God first, not yourself. I didn't say that, Jesus did. Save your love, save your respect. In fact, the scripture even says, esteem others more than yourself. Whoa. And so when it all revolves around yourself, can I tell you, according to the scripture, to be blunt, you know what we're training kids from we high, school, media, whatever, with all this self, 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 we're treating them to be just like Satan. And you wonder why things are messed up? Jesus was a servant. It wasn't just about self. On and on it goes. You want to be my disciple? Jesus said, what's the first thing? You must deny your self. See how twisted it's become? And you wonder why our world's so messed up. Okay, but this is the fall of Satan in that passage, and people say, "Well, uh, God is, you know, the one who created uh, e uh, evil." Okay, because there's the devil. No, I don't think so. What we see here is the fall of Satan. Satan is the one who created evil, and because of that, the Scripture said this is where all the death and dying and suffering came from. Paul says this in Romans chapter five. Uh, this then is what has happened: sin made its entry into the world through one man. Who was that? Adam, and through sin, death. Where did death come from, right? Did God, when he made this world, say, hey, oh, by the way, Adam and Eve, I got a great gift for you. It's called, you're going to die. No, it was called paradise, not a pile of junk, not full of disease and suffering, right? But Satan fell, 
He tempted Adam and Eve. They chose of their own free will to disobey God. And so ever since then, all of us have inherited from Adam not only this same sinful rebellion attitude, it's all about rah, me, rah, right? Okay, that it's also where we get the death and the disease and the sufferings called the curse, the fall of man. Okay, but it started with the fall of who? Satan, okay? Uh, he says, sin through that. The entail of sin and death passed on to the whole human race and no one could break free from it because no one himself was free from sin. So to answer the first objection, God's not loving because God created evil. Uh-uh, evil came from who? Satan, okay? It didn't come from God. And then they say, well, okay, well, wait a second. Well, God's still uh, 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 not good uh, because he still kind of, if you will, uh, created uh, evil because he created the devil. No. The scripture is very clear, and this is your Ezekiel 28 passage, okay? Ezekiel 28, okay? The Bible says that God created a beautiful, adorned angel, like with the other angels, a cherubim, and he was Lucifer, right? But when he sinned with his pride, and it was all about I, and he wanted to be God, then he became the devil. God did not create the devil, he created Lucifer, okay? Until sin was found, the scripture says in that passage, in him. Let me read that for you, Ezekiel 28. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created, talking about Lucifer, until the day evil was found in you, okay? So God didn't create evil, and he didn't create the devil. He created Lucifer, okay? Lucifer started evil because he became uh, the devil when evil was found in him. And if you think about it, logically, evil really isn't so much that is something that is created as it is the absence of something. Evil is the absence of good, right? If uh, Mario, Mario, he, you're good at crocheting, right? All right, we'll skip over here. Bonnie, because this one's real. Bonnie's really good at crocheting, right? So she makes me this blanket, right, Bonnie? Give it for Bonnie. You're awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. She makes me this blanket, right? And so over time... Originally, that blanket was created good, right? It had cows on it. They were, had this pasture setting. They were skipping out of the stalls. I, it was just joyful holding the thing. Anyway, uh, then uh, until the day I went to unfold it, and there was a hole in that blanket. Well, Bonnie is evil because Bonnie created that hole. No, that hole is not something that's created. The hole is the absence of blanket material right? The same thing. You can't shake a fist at God and charge God of creating evil when he created Lucifer, who was good, until there was an absence in him, if you will, a hole. Something was found in him. It was called evil, right? It's the same thing. So you can't charge. I can't charge her for that hole. That hole uh, is the absence of blanket material. I can't charge God that he created the devil because he created Lucifer until evil was found within him. It's the same thing. So evil isn't really something created. It's the absence of good. It's also the same thing. You could use another analogy. It's just like darkness. What is darkness? Is darkness really something created or is it the absence of light? Right? So how can you sit there and say, well, God's still evil because he created the devil? No, he didn't create the devil. The devil created, or the devil uh, became evil. Evil was found within him. God created Lucifer, who was good, until that day. So you can't charge God uh, with uh, creating that, okay? Plus, we saw in the Genesis account, before the fall of man, which started after the devil fell, 
okay, and then tempted Adam and Eve, right? Uh, throughout the Genesis account, we see that God said about his creation, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then when he created mankind and the land analysis, and it was very good. And then sometime between day six and Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter three, the fall of man, somewhere in there, logically, Satan must have fell. And then approached Adam and Eve. We don't know how many years. We don't know what other, but somewhere between there. Because why would God say everything was very good if Satan had fell, right? So that's just logical, right? That we see there. So anyway, so you can't make that charge against God. But then they'll say, well, God's still not loving because here's the next charge. So you can answer: He didn't create evil, right? He didn't create the devil, right? So you can't charge that back to God. But they say, well, He's still not good and loving because He has done nothing. To stop evil. How many guys heard that? What kind of a God is this? It just keeps going on and on and on and on. Well, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but he has. He's done some incredible things about evil. First of all, he's judged it and defeated it. And this is what we see in 1 John. This is the other ministry, if you will, of Jesus. Jesus didn't come just to forgive us of our sins. Anybody glad about that? He came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 and 15. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. So the Bible tells us that Jesus, yes, came to die on the cross so that we could have uh, mercy from God after, through Jesus Christ, satisfied the justice of God because somebody's got to pay the price for sin. God doesn't wink at it. You know that. It was free for us, but it cost him everything. So yes, he came to forgive us of our sins, but he also came to destroy the devil. Turn to somebody and say, he's a loser. Okay, he's a loser. He lost. Okay, and that's what we see. The seed of the woman, in fact, fulfilled the Genesis 3.15 promise, crushed the head of the serpent. Satan is defeated. He is just a, uh, a loser. Okay, Jesus defeated him, whooped him on the cross. He's defeated. He's shattered. Okay, Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Okay, as we saw before, this is why he is so stinking uh, 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 aggressive in these last days, because he knows his gig is up. Satan knows he's a loser. Satan knows he's destined for the lake of fire, but he's so stinking evil... As we saw before, the two different Greek words with paneros, okay, and kakos. Kakos is just the general evil we saw, you know, many times before. Like if somebody goes into a 7-Eleven and they rob the store and they got it at gunpoint, the guy at the cashier, there's a couple other people in the store. Cops come around, they surround them, and they say, give it up on the bullhorn. There's no way. I mean, it literally is completely surrounded. There's no way out. So the guy, he puts the gun down and goes out and they take him into the back of the car. That's kakos. That was a bad thing, right? Paneros, which is used of the devil... Okay, it's the exact same scenario. So he goes up there, holds them up. There's people in the store. Cops come, surround him. There's no way of escape. Just give it up. It's completely surrounded. Except this guy, he begins to shoot as many people as he can. He knows there's no way of escape. He knows he's lost. But he tries to take down as many people with him. That's Poneros. That's Satan. Satan is defeated. Jesus Christ whooped him on the cross. He is headed for the lake of fire. But he's so stinking evil, he's seen how many people he can take with him to the lake of fire. And if he has to use so-called skeptical questions to get people to say, well, God's not real, that's what he'll do, as well as a whole bunch of other unfortunate things. So he's judged it and defeated. Number two, God 
Let me put these down for you because they're important. So he's judged it or defeated it, whichever one you want to do. But he's also put a limit on it, okay? People, when they make this statement, well, God's done nothing about evil and suffering, what they're assuming is as if uh, God's up there going, oh, I wish I could do something. It's too bad Satan's got all the control. Well, what Bible are you reading? Read the book of Job, chapter 1. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. He will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But do not uh, lay a finger on the man himself. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Can I translate what's going on there? This is a, a misnomer in the world. Satan is not a loose cannon on deck. He only gets to do what God allows him to do. He's not the author of evil, but he's so powerful that he will allow what people's normal evil, unfortunate progress will go, and God's so powerful, he'll flip it around for good. You ever go through some trials that you thought, man, this is horrible? It might even been spiritual warfare. But when all is said and done, because you love God, God promised he works all things together for good. And you came out on top and you became a stronger Christian. And then you look back afterwards and go, thank you, God, for letting me go through that hard time. That's what God does. God's the one who's always in control, right? So he has judged evil. He's put a limit on evil. It's not like he's up there going, because what, again, what's the charge? Why doesn't God do anything? Well, we've already saw two things he's already done with it. But it keeps uh, getting uh, better as you go. Now, this is the big one, okay? He's made a way out of evil. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that what? He just stood up there helpless, and he was hoping somehow he could intervene, but Satan just you know, was so powerful wrong Bible, that he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the good news, okay? Again, what is going on here, okay? God didn't just uh, send his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven. Ultimately, he not only set us free from the, uh, this uh, place of sin and the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but ultimately when we die, where are we headed? And when we die, what are we released from? We're released from, certainly we were saved from going to hell forever, suffering, which we justly deserve, by the way, okay? But we get to leave this place of evil and suffering. And it's a, it's a gift. We can't earn it. We deserve to not only stay here, and God didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to intervene, and we can live out our days on this evil and suffering cursed planet because of the fall of man, because of the fall of Satan, that God didn't originally, he created paradise first, but we, we, we could do that and then go forever in eternity in hell. But God says, no, I'm going to judge it, destroy the works of the critter that started this thing. I'm going to put a limit on it. He's not a loose cannon on deck. I'm so powerful, I'll even, I'll even use him to do some good. He doesn't, you know. And I'm going to provide a way out. And just like it was in the beginning of Adam and Eve, Adam, Eve, here's paradise. Just ask one thing. Don't eat this one tree. Or you can listen to Satan. And same thing today, isn't it? God will honor the decision too. Hey, come to, come to Jesus. He's the way out of this mess. You can go to paradise. You can go to heaven. You can escape this world of evil and suffering forever and ever and ever. In a place beyond your wildest dream. It's a gift. Just don't listen to Satan. And but what do people do today? Listen, say, and can I tell you something? And maybe this will sting. 
but because we don't take the time as Christians, we don't do the saving, but let's get equipped. Let's be responsible. Because we don't take the time to answer these skeptical questions that Satan uses people's ears today to cause them to doubt God's word and the gospel and Jesus Christ. And then all we do is just sit there and go, mm-hmm. and Satan will use that as fuel to, for these people to justify why they don't need to respond to the gospel. That's why we need to get equipment. That's why the scripture says, but he's provided a way out of this mess. Am I glad that, about that? Okay. So again, has God done nothing? Okay. And then there's a fourth one. Guess what? There's going to come a day when it will come to an end. Right? So remember what the charge was. Number one, the charge was God has done nothing about evil and suffering, right? So he's evil. Excuse me? He has judged it, defeated it. He has put a limit on it. He's made a way out. Praise God. He didn't have to. But one day, be rest assured, he's going to put it into this. This is what we see in Revelation 19. And it says this, that Jesus Christ, that's his second coming, right? So when Jesus Christ comes back to second coming, what's he going to do? He's going to put an end to the false prophet and the Antichrist. They're going to be chucked into the lake of fire. Satan will be bound for a thousand years during the whole millennial kingdom. It's going to be awesome. He's going to take this planet that's now cursed with all the floods and tornadoes and all that other rotten stuff and the disease, and he's going to renovate it back to Garden of Eden-like conditions. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be back the way that God originally made it with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning from Jerusalem in righteousness, right? Uh, that's awesome, right? So he's going to put an end to all this baloney. And then at the end of the millennial kingdom, uh, Revelation says that there's going to be one short final rebellion, unfortunately, okay? And then after that, bang, God squelches it down very quickly, and that's what's called the eternal state, where there will come a time, Christian, listen, where there will be no more evil, No, as uh, John says in Revelation 20, I believe, in 21, he's talking about there with heaven. He says there's going to be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Isn't that going to be awesome? Forever and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. So guess what? That means it's coming to an end. Anybody glad about that? It's coming to an end. So biblically, let's answer that question. Oh, God's evil, or he's not loving because he created evil. No, he didn't. Where'd evil come from? Satan. Okay, well, God's still evil because he created the devil. No, he didn't create the devil. He created Lucifer, who was originally good. Okay, and then the absence of good was found in him. He's the one responsible for uh, uh, evil, okay? He became the devil. And then they say, well, God's not good and loving because he's still uh, allowed for this to happen and he doesn't do anything about it. No, he judged it. He put a limit on it, made a way out, and he is going to put an end to it. That's the Christian response. Said all that to get to this. Flip it around. All right, back to your notes. One way that people choose to resolve this problem is to say that evil and suffering really, listen, does not exist. Oh, yeah, that's a great answer. You laugh at us. You act like you got the nail in the coffin. Aha, Christians, you're fake and you're phony. (laughs) What? I'll acknowledge that evil exists. You say it doesn't exist? This is crazy. Many Eastern religions go this route. For example, pantheistic, pan meaning all, that all is God, theos, pan, theos, all God. Pantheism, uh, religions teach, if God is all and God is good, then evil cannot exist. Listen to this. Hinduism, Taoism, some forms of Buddhism, Christian science, Unitarians, and others believe that the way to resolve the problem of evil is to realize that it really doesn't exist at all. So all the stuff that every time you turn on the news, nope, that's not real, Ron. They're just pulling our leg. Those funny jokers. People died and shot and murdered and ran over and bank robbery. 
No, just an illusion. Crazy kids. No. Okay? It's an illusion. Thus, in order to overcome pain, suffering, and evil, they say we must learn to believe that everything in the physical world is non-real or illusion. Then the illusion will have no grip on us. Yep. That's what I do. When somebody has got a gun to my head and they're trying to take my wallet, here's what I do. Nope. That's not real. Sorry, won't change anything. That's illogical and that's ridiculous. Oh, but you're going to laugh at me. Hey, Christian, God's not real. Bang, 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 bang. Really? What's your version? I got a problem with your version, right? The explanation does not make sense emotionally. I cannot imagine having to tell a rape victim the evil you encountered was just an illusion. Excuse me? Right? Also, the pantheistic explanation of evil and suffering does not make sense intellectually. Listen to this story. There's a humorous story told of India's leading philosopher, Shankara. He had just finished lecturing the king on the deception of the mind and its delusion of material reality. Well, the next day, the king let loose an elephant that went on a rampage, and Shankar ran up a tree to find safety. Right? When the king asked him why he ran, uh, if the elephant was, quote, non-real... Right? Shankara, not to be outdone, said, What the king actually saw was a non real me climbing up a non real tree. Just couldn't say it, could you? I was wrong. <laughs> but no, keep that. Now, talk about illusion. Right? And he says this I might add, is that a non real answer? Yeah, I think so. Uh, if it is true that all is one and all is God, as the New Age holds, as well as these other pantheistic ones, the distinction between good and evil ultimately disappears. When a New Ager tells me there are no absolutes, I always ask him, are you absolutely sure about that? And if there is no difference, if there is no evil, then apparently there's no difference between a Franklin Graham and an Adolf Hitler. Right? Put it to the test. Logically, intellectually, emotionally philosophically, and you laugh at me, the Christian. You judged it, you limited it, way out, and he's going to put an end to it. What's yours? Oh, it's not real. Excuse me? i got a problem with yours. Another one, believe it or not, this is important, and this is usually where this question comes from, as if somehow they disprove the existence of God, and that's atheists bring this up a lot, right? Another example that does not make sense logically and emotionally is atheism. Many atheists and skeptics begin their challenge of God's existence saying, God can't exist because evil exists. Well, logically, that can't be true. Logically. So actually, their atheistic argument that God doesn't exist under the premise because evil exists, as we're going to see in just a second, logically, if you keep following it through, put your thinking caps on tonight, okay, real or illusion, and... Uh, it actually proves the existence of God. So keep this in your pocket next time you're talking to somebody. Let's follow through. Question the question. Consider the following dialogue between Dr. Ravi Zacharias and a university student, and uh, here's what he says. The student said, there's too much evil in the world, therefore there cannot be a God. Right? That's a common charge. Put it to the test. He said, would you mind if I ask you something? You said God cannot exist because there's too much evil. If there is such thing as evil, aren't you assuming that there's such thing as good? Right? Because how can you say there's something evil if there wasn't a good to counter, you know, how do you define that? He said, I guess so. He said, well, if there's such thing as good, you must affirm a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil, right? Uh, what's your standard for defining that good or evil? He says, in a debate between philosopher uh, Copleston and atheist Bert Bertrand Russell, Copleston said, Mr. Russell, do you believe in good and bad? 
uh, don't you? And Russell said, yes, I do. He said, well, how do you differentiate between good and bad? And Russell shrugged his shoulders and said, on the basis of feeling, what else? And he says, I must confess, Mr. Coppelson was a kinder gentleman than many others. The appropriate logical kill, if you will, for the moment would have been, Mr. Russell, in some cultures, they love their neighbors. In other cultures, they eat them, both on the basis of feeling. Do you have a preference? So again, is that how you base that on, is feeling? Put it to the test. He continues on. When you say there is evil, aren't you admitting there is a good? When you accept the existence of goodness, you must affirm a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. But when you admit a moral law, you uh, assume a moral lawgiver. That, however, is who you're trying to disprove, not to prove. For if there is a no moral law giver, there is no moral law. If there is no moral law, there is no good. If there is no good, there is no evil. What then is your question? And the student replied, what am I asking you? Right? Think it through. Right? Your argument that God doesn't exist on the basis that there's evil actually proves the existence of God. Because how can you say that there's evil unless there's a good? And how do you know that there's a difference between good and evil unless it came from a moral law? Where'd that moral law came from? We're back to number uh, four right here. The third argument for the existence of God, the moral thing. So if you get equipped correctly, Christian, you could flip it around, okay? And then when an atheist comes up to you, and actually the fact that you acknowledge there is evil versus good, you just prove the existence of God, not disprove him. All right. This student just realized the question of evil and suffering uh, is only valid if God, in fact, exists. And as soon as you take God out of the picture, terms like good and evil can only be defined by conflicting human opinions and personal feelings. And where do you think we are today? Right? You take out the moral standard, which used to be the Judeo-Christian ethic, based on the Scripture, the Word of God, what God says, right? Okay? You take that out of the schools, you take it out of the courtrooms, you take it out of the minds of the people. Okay, what are you left with? It's whatever man thinks. It's opinions, it's feelings, right? And that's exactly, if you read the Bible, also happened to uh, the next generation, okay, after Joshua. The second generation went in, remember, into the promised land, right? And they believed, the first one didn't believe, so they took laps in the desert. God waited for that first generation to die off. Second one believed them, so they got everything that the first generation could have had if they didn't not trust God, i.e. doubt him. So the second generation comes in and it's all just great times, battles, and sure enough, they trusted God, amazing victories. They got the land. It was a prosperous time, very awesome, wonderful, heyday experience. Here comes the next generation, Judges. And boy, did it go downhill fast. You ever read that book? Oh, man, just horrible. Because once, it, And all it took was one generation, phew, they're downhill. But in Judges 17, also I think in Judges 21, it says this, in those days, Israel had no king. There's no leader. There's no standard. There's nobody in essence that says, the buck stops here. That's what the word of God does for us. You realize that. The buck stops here. You could have your opinions. You could feel this, that, whatever. But listen, if it doesn't line up with the buck stops here with what God says, chuck it. Right? God's the king of kings in the Lord of Lords. But Israel had no king. Listen, why was there so much uh, heartache? Why did they go downhill so fast? Because, quote, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Is that today or what? One generation. Take that out of our school system. Here we are. Everyone does what's right in their eyes. And that's why it's all messed up. It's being repeated. If morality is defined by human opinion, we are reduced to asking ourselves, which human opinion do you choose to follow? And so how does it ultimately play out? 
You know, our founding father says we're endowed by these rights by our creator. But see, that's all taken away. We even have people in office today who purposely misquote that. Our president, many times, several times, on purpose. Why? Because that really is the mindset of the government today. We're God. We'll tell you what to do. Our founding father says, no, these come from God. And that's why they put in the Second Amendment, you get out of line, we're going to come and we're going to overthrow you and we're going to set it right again. Because God is the one who is the King of kings and the Lord. God is the one who gives us these rights. Okay, but our government today says, no, there is no God. And guess what? He who has the gold is the one who makes the rules. He who has the most guns gets to make the rules. He who has the most power gets to make the rules. Hitler took it to the extreme, and these people are doing the same thing, ultimately, right? The strongest, the fittest are going to govern. That's an evolutionary mindset. That's what happens when you get rid of God, okay? But that's what he says. So seen in this light, the reality is your next blank there. The reality of evil actually requires the existence of God. The reality of evil actually requires the existence of God rather than disproving it. So atheism's explanation for the problem of evil and suffering does not make sense logically. Also, it does not make sense emotionally, okay? And neither does it disprove the existence of God. If you think about it logically, it actually proves the existence of God. And how many guys would say that's one, uh, again, once again, God say nanny, nanny, boo-boo in Jesus' name, right? So you think about it. And let's finish it up on the, the page 65 there. Listen to what Richard Dawkins, this is we're following on the line with atheism. Remember, here's our answer. Hey, God's not re- loving because there's no, nothing about evil. What, really? He judged it, defeated it. He put a limit on it. He's made a way out of it. Praise God forever and ever. And he, oh, by the way, he's going to put an end to it. Yeah. And so far with the New Age and the pantheistic and all those other religions, their answer is either uh, it's not real or the atheists want to say, this disproves God's existence. When it actually proves his existence. Oh, by the way, it not only did not prove uh, disprove the existence of God, you didn't answer the question. Did you notice that? But listen to what reality now has been formed by an atheistic mindset. And this is what you're going to say to somebody. Imagine going and visiting somebody in the hospital or visiting a family or a loved one who went through some atrocious event, that some evil that somebody had did. And this is going to be your words of comfort. This is what you get with atheism. Richard Dawkins said this, Oxford University, why people suffer. Actually, in print. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we would expect if there is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no what? No evil. So again, that means he just said it. I didn't. There's no difference between Adolf Hitler and Franklin Graham. And we're the ones who got a problem. And you laugh at us, uh-huh, we got you, God doesn't. Uh, no evil, no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Listen, DNA neither uh, knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to his music, and I like the logical question. Would Dawkins honestly tell a rape victim, victim that the rapist was merely dancing to his DNA? Is that logical? Philosophical? Emotionally satisfying? And yet we, we, we got a problem as Christians when I just said, no, here's the good news. He judged it. He defeated it. And, and he put a limit on it, even to this day. 
And he's so powerful, he even take what others mean for evil and flip it for good. Oh, and then he also has provided a way out of it forever. Oh, and by the way, he's going to put an end to it. And we're the wacky ones. And you just say we're just a bag of chemicals dancing to our DNA, and it's not real. Do you see what I'm saying? Flip it around. Flip the script, okay? When somebody asks that question, not only can we give a very intellectually biblical, logical, emotionally satisfying answer, but don't stop there. You ask them, what's your answer? You explain to me on your worldview and what you base truth on, where does it come from? Right? Only Christianity, when you look at all the world's religions, even atheism, is the only one that satisfies. Lord willing, next time we're going to take a look at this. Well, then why? Because this will be the next question, and we need to deal with this. Lord willing, we get to next time. Why did God create a world then where evil and suffering exist? So did God know? Okay, he's not the author of evil, and he's not the one who created the devil. Right? He created Lucifer. He became the devil when evil was found within him. But God, did he know that this was going to happen? He'd have to, if he's omniscient, all-knowing. Right? So then the question is, well, why did he do it? And that's the next charge. But that's right. That's your cliffhanger. Lord willing, we'll deal with that one uh, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. 
And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go 
to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.